I want you to take your Bibles and open them up with me this evening to, uh, to Romans chapter 6. And we're going to talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection in the Christian life. Now, really to understand the verses that we're going to be looking at, you, you've got to see them in the context of the development and the flow of the book of Romans. Uh, Paul, as he writes to the Christians at Rome, gives us the great theological statement of our faith. And in Romans 1, verses 1 through 17, Paul doesn't just introduce the book of Romans, but he really tells us what the book of Romans is really all about. It's all about the gospel. And this starting in chapter 1, 18, and going all the way through uh, chapter 3, verse 20, Paul talks about why everyone needs to hear the gospel. And that is the fact that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not everyone who hears the gospel will be saved, but no one can be saved without hearing the gospel. And then starting in, in chapter 3, uh, verse 21, uh, Paul deals now with the benefits of the gospel. What happens in our lives when we believe the gospel? We trust the Lord Jesus. And, and really there's, there's two sections within the benefits. The first one he deals with in, in, in Romans 3, 21, all the way through the end of, of Romans 5, and that is our justification by faith. The fact that when we trusted Jesus, we were declared righteous in Christ on the basis of his shed blood and the grace of God toward us. Now, Paul never gets over that fact that he has been saved by God's grace. He has been justified. In fact, he, he comes to the end of, of chapter 5 and, and he talks about how we all died in Adam, but we were made alive in Christ for where sin increased. When sin just was a part of our life in Adam, he said, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. He's simply saying that there's no one too sinful for the grace of God to save them. In fact, Paul was so enthralled by that that he would talk about the fact that, that God could save someone like him. He would say, I was a persecutor of the church. I, I was as bad as anyone could be. But the Lord saved me in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 15 after he's talked about the resurrection of Jesus and, and those that were witnesses of the resurrection, Peter, and then the uh, rest of the 12, and then 500, and then James, and then the rest of the apostles. And then Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me the least of the apostles, a persecutor of the church, but by the grace of God I am what I am. 
1 Timothy 1.15, he would say it this way. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I'm the worst. If he can save me, he can save anyone. So when he gives us justification by faith, he's saying everybody needs to hear the gospel, and the gospel, when you trust it, can save anyone, anywhere. Now, that's justification. Now, after he deals with our justification, starting in chapter 6 and going through chapter 8, he talks about our sanctification. Now, Justification means that we are declared righteous in Christ. That's how God sees us. That's our acceptance. But sanctification is our growth in real righteousness. Justification by faith happens one time when you trust Jesus. Sanctification is an ongoing process that will be happening in your life as long as you draw breath. It is God's work making you more and more like Jesus. And so Paul is going to start out here in Romans 6 on, on, on the, the subject of our sanctification. But, but really, it, it relates back. He, he, he has just said now... Uh, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And he starts Romans 6 with this question, what shall we say then? <laughs> Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He understood there, there were some people who would misunderstand grace and try to take advantage of grace and abuse grace. There'd be people who say, well, you know, it doesn't matter if I commit adultery, the grace of God will cover that. It doesn't matter if I lie and cheat, I, you know, the grace of God will take care of that. Paul said, what shall we say? Shall we keep on sinning? Our <laughs> grace will be bound. He said, may it by no means. The, the King James says, God forbid. Both of those are really weak translations of what Paul's saying. He uses the word meginito. <laughs> it's such a strong word that there's really not an English equivalent like it. He says, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Nonsense. It's impossible for anyone who has truly met Jesus to think like that. If you think like that, you've never understood why Jesus died on the cross. I want you to know Jesus died to set us free from sin, not to set us free to sin. And you've never understood the grace of God, the life-transforming grace of God. Paul would talk about that in Ephesians 2 when he would say that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And we were dominated by our flesh. And we were drifting in the world. And we were directed by Satan. And we were depraved in our conduct. But God, who is rich in grace, has made us alive in Christ. And so Paul says, you can't think lightly about sin and know Jesus. And so he's going to start this whole thing of sanctification. 
And, 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 and so he's going to say in, in, in verse uh, uh, 2, by no means, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you know not that all, but that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Now, he's not talking about water baptism there. Every believer ought to be immersed. It's a beautiful symbol. What do we say when we baptize someone crucified with Christ and risen to walk in newness of life? But he's talking about the fact that when you were saved, you were immersed into Jesus. Paul would put it this way. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You were immersed into Jesus. And when you were immersed into Jesus, you were baptized into his death. And we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, He's going to expand that. And these are the verses that we're going to look at tonight, verses 5 through 14. Read them with me. He says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we uh, have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being uh, raised from the dead, will never die again. Death hath no longer dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, Paul gives us in these verses three keys to victory in living, of growing in Christ's likeness of life. The first one is that we need to know the facts of faith. Where does faith come from? You don't pump up faith within yourself, do you? <laughs> you? You don't go to the Christian bookstore and say, well, I need to purchase a little more faith. Faith comes from one place, and that is the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and he by the Word of God. 
And, and it's only as you and I are in the Word that we have the fuel of faith in our life. Now, Paul is going to give us some facts of faith for Christian living. Listen to, to what he says in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, he's talking about the fact that when you and I were saved, we were brought into union with Christ. We live in him. He lives in us. Our relationship with him is one of being joined to him. You cannot be a Christian without being alive in Christ and Christ being alive in you. Now, Paul said, when you were united with him, when you were brought into this union, this, this relationship with Jesus where you have just been joined to him, two things happened. You died a death like his, and you experienced a resurrection like his. Now, what does that look like? Listen to what he says. We know. Now, here's the facts of the faith. The things that we know. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now, the first thing that he wants us to know is that when you were saved, you died to the old person that you used to be. There was a death. That old man that was bound by sin, that was had the proclivity towards sin, that just kept on sinning and could not stop from sinning. He said, you died to the old person that you used to be. There was a death that took place in your life, and Romans 6 is the obituary of that old man. Listen to how, how he says it. You have died. You've been crucified with him. Why? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. He's talking about our body. How, how does sin come into our lives? John says it comes by the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. All of those things that appeal to the flesh nature within us. Now, before we were saved, the flesh dominated us and doing its passions. But Paul said, you died to the old man so that you would not be controlled by the passions of your body. And, and then he says, not only were you uh, dead to, to that man, you were dead 
to the slavery of sin so that you would not be, that you would no longer be enslaved to sin, that sin would no longer have the dominating power in your life. Now, I want you to know, we're never going to reach in this life sinless perfection. And you and I are going to sin, but when we sin, we're going to do it not because we have to. We do it because we choose to. We make bad choices. Remember Flip Wilson? He used to say, the devil made me do it. You and I can't cop out like that. We're no longer under the control of the flesh. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer under the domination of Satan. When we trusted Jesus, we died to that old life. And we've been set free. Listen to what he says. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. If we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. I died. I've been set free from the slavery. I've been made alive to God through Christ Jesus. When I was saved, my outward appearance didn't change one iota. I was the same height, the same weight, had the same facial feature, everything about me on the outside was the same. But I want you to know there was a radical change on the inside. I ceased to be the Don Dunamant that I was before I met Jesus. And I became a new person. Isn't that what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? If any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. He says, you need to know that. That's the facts of the faith. That's what happened to you when you met Jesus. There was a fundamental, radical change of life. You cease to be that old person you were, dominated by the flesh, enslaved to sin. You now have a new life. You are alive to God, and you are free to walk in newness of life. You're free to say yes to God, and you're free to say no to sin. Now listen to what he says. Jesus was raised from the dead. We'll celebrate that next week. And we'll say to one another, he's risen. Yeah, we'll celebrate that. He was dead, but he rose from the grave. And then Paul says, being alive, he'll never die anymore. Death doesn't have dominion over him. There were those that Jesus raised from the dead during his earthly ministry. He raised Lazarus from the dead. 
And Lazarus, who was dead, came out of that tomb. But the only thing is, Lazarus was going to die again. He raised the widow's son from in the village of Nain, brought him back to life. But that young man, though he were alive, would die again. But Jesus, when he rose, conquered the enemies of sin and death and hell. And he will never die again. He died once for our sin. He lives ever to God. Now, Paul said, I want you to understand that happened to you. You died once. And you are alive right now with new life. Know the facts. Then the second thing he tells us, not only do we know the facts of faith, we need to know the consideration of faith. Look at verse 11. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The King James says, reckon yourself to be dead by sin. We as Southerns have trouble with that word because we use it in different ways. I reckon I'm going to go home later on tonight. So this consideration is better. And the word consideration means literally to act by faith on the facts of faith. Act by faith on the fact that you are dead to sin. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There are some times I don't feel dead to sin. There are some times that Satan's fiery darts are hot and heavy. His temptation, strong. There are some times when my flesh cries out for that which is outside of the will of God. There are times when temptation is real and it is strong in my life. Is that true for you? What do you do? Well, I can't help it. I just guess I'll do it. No. He says, in that time, when, 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 when the temptation is so intense, you act by faith. I'm dead to sin. I don't have to say yes to Satan's devices. I don't have to say yes to the cravings of my flesh. I don't have to say yes to being dragged down, I am free to say yes to God. Now, do I always do that? No. But can I tell you how you can know you're a Christian? When you say yes to the wrong choice, you don't stay there. Because God the Holy Spirit comes with a great conviction 
And if you don't turn quickly, God the Father comes with chastisement so that you and I will become partakers of holiness. That's what he does in our life. But he says, here's what you do. You know the facts of the faith. When you were saved, you died to the old man, you received a new life. You are a new creation in Christ. And so, in the midst of the daily battles, you and I make a faith choice. And that faith choice says, I, did, I don't have to do that. I'm free to say yes to God the Father. I am alive to him in Christ Jesus. Now, after Paul gives us that, he just wants us to know we have a new master, Jesus. We're in a new kingdom. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, and we have a whole new way of looking at things. That's what our faith is based on, okay? Now, he gives us the fact of faith. He gives us the consideration of faith. And then he gives us the decision of faith. What does it look like for me to say, by faith, I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to God? Here's what it is. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Don't enslave yourself to sin again. In 1982, something rather noteworthy happened on the island of Guam. In uh, 1945, when uh, the war between the United States and Japan came to an end, and the news was broadcast out to all of the Japanese soldiers that the war was over and Japanese, Japan had surrendered. There was one Japanese soldier on the island of Guam who couldn't believe that Japan would surrender. And so while everyone came out, he stayed in the jungle. And, and for the next 37 years, he lived in caves in the jungle, eking out a meager, I mean, just, just what he could get off of, 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 of the, the earth. His uniform was tattered. He was malnourished. Now, he could have come out at any time, right? He could have come out in 1945 and been free. He could have come out in 1952 and been free. He could have come out in 1958 and be free. But he kept himself a slave. He kept himself captured for 30 years seven years until somebody found him and he was set free. There are a lot of Christians 
just like that. War is over. Jesus is the victor. He's come to set us free. Will we go back and we live bound? We live like we don't have any choice. And the same sins and the same failures just keep happening in our lives. How many of you have ever heard the Bob Newhart skit of counseling where he says, stop it? If you hadn't, you need to go home and get on YouTube and just put in Bob Newhart, stop it. And what Paul is saying to us here is that you don't need to let sin reign in your body to make you obey a passage. You don't need to present your bodies as an instrument of unrighteousness. Stop it. Stop being enslaved again. What do you do in contrast to that? He says, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as God, to God as members of righteousness. Don't give your body to sin. Give your body to God. Present it to him. Isn't that what he said in Romans 12one? I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable act of service. And he's saying, as those who are alive from the dead, those who are in union with Christ, and Jesus is living in you, and God the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. In the daily battle, you know the facts of the faith. You've died to that old man. You've received a new life. You consider it by faith, and you act on it by presenting my body to God. Two things about that presentation. One, it's decisive. It means coming to the place where you say, I'm going to be a man or a woman or a young person of God in every area of my life. That's who I am. I belong to Jesus. And Jesus lives in me. And when the peer pressure gets tough, and everybody's wanting me to conform and to fit in. I belong to Jesus. And when Satan comes with all of his lies to lure us away, I come back and say, I belong to Jesus. That's who I am. That's my identity. I am a follower of Jesus. Jesus. 
and my great desire is that he'll be honored and glorified in my life. It is a decisive commitment. And then it is a definite commitment. Your body. Your body just encompasses everything you are, everything you do, every day of your life. That's it. But it's coming to the place of conscious, concrete, continuous commitment. Can I tell you something? I can live in victory today and fall into defeat tomorrow if I take it for granted. And you will too. So Paul says, understand the great change that took place in your life when you met Jesus. And remember that he's living in you. I don't remember whether it was Manly Beasley or Ron Dunn that I heard it from years ago. But I gave a little ditty that just has stuck with me through the years. And it says this, I can't. You never said I could. You can't. You always said you would. Apart from faith and Jesus living in me, I'm going to fall flat in my face. But when I walk by faith, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm no longer dead. I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray today that I yield my life through you. You'll strengthen me in the battles I'm going to face today. What shall we say? Sin doesn't matter. Will that grace will abound? <laughs> Nonsense. Nonsense. Jesus died for your sin. And he lives inside of you to empower you to walk in newness of life. That's the crucifixion and the resurrection in the Christian life.